Gavin is up again tonight to speak. I'm so excited for what he's got to share, what God's put on his heart. Thanks, Kim. Okay, when we do those light changes, oh my gosh, I thought like an angel was coming down. Because it was like, right here, I was like, whoa, what? Oh, it's just the lights, okay, right. (laughs) And those gleam pretty brightly off the bald eagle. It's pretty nice. (laughs) Thanks, Emily. Isn't fall amazing? Like, isn't this season of fall just wild? Come on, who loves the fall? Okay, I gotta, I gotta be honest. I've always been like a two season type of person. I've only liked two seasons in the year. The summer season and Christmas season. That's it. That's all I like. Summer season and Christmas season. But I am quickly falling in love with fall. Yo, I love it. Uh, I also think the reason why I'm starting to love it more than summer, I can't believe I'm actually saying this. Yeah. is because the smoke in the summer. Oh, for those who are in BC, the worst. Oh my goodness. If that's what summers in BC are going to be like, I don't like you, summer. I don't like you anymore. Isn't it wild though in fall, like with seasons, there's like both summer and fall and spring all at the same time, right? Especially here. It's, yeah, come on, Graham, it's mind blowing. Like we can have, like there's seasons of the year, but like we can have different seasons in a day. Like we can have different seasons in an afternoon. It's amazing to like the last couple days even of like just fog saturating like you know, the city of Abbotsford, and then you come up here and it's like bright blue skies and it can be like thundering and lightning and stormy. And then two hours later, it's like sun. Like, it's amazing that we can have different seasons in the matter of hours. Uh, who also feels that personally right now? Like different seasons in life that are just kind of going called boom, where like in a moment's notice, you're doing great. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I have so much anxiety in my life. Anybody else there right now? <laughs> yeah. Where it's like, yeah, 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 I'm doing good. Yeah. And you're like convincing yourself you don't need to put on a jacket that day emotionally. And you're like, yeah, I'm good. And then all of a sudden it just like downpours inside and you're like, oh, I'm not good. I'm not good. I'm not good. Anybody else there? Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing that I've been like taking inventory in my life the last couple of weeks where like I'm counting my blessings. Rebecca and I are we're really being intentional on counting our blessings. She is naturally so good at that. Like naturally, she's just like, yeah, there's this and there's this and there's this and there's this. And unfortunately, it's not the natural bend for me to just see the blessings all the time. So it's great to have a wife like Rebecca, where she's like, yeah, what about this? I'm like, wow, I didn't even think of that. Or yeah, you're, you're totally right. I didn't even think of that. So we've been intentionally voicing out our blessings lately. Uh, because 
there are also seasons that we're finding as we just walk this journey of life and of ministry and of marriage and of parenting that there's seasons of rain and seasons of struggle. And so we're like combating these weathers back and forth. So, for example, she uh, told me about this blessing <laughs> that we had as a couple weeks ago, a weekend ago, I was like peeling probably like 800 different apples and pears over the weekend. And by like like the 20th one, I was like, ah, I don't really know if I want to do this anymore. And I'm just like grinding through the actual grinder machine as the apple goes through and spins it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Peels it, spins it, does the twist thing, takes the core out. It's a sweet machine. I love it. Uh, and then pears, unfortunately, you can't put it on those machines. You got to peel it and you got to cut it and take out the center. And so we've been canning pears and we've been making applesauce for like the last feels like years, but it's just been a week or so. And, uh, so I can complain about it, but then Rebecca's like, you know, like we got all of this fruit for free. It was amazing. We got all this fruit for free. We probably got like seven to eight hundred apples and probably like three to four hundred pears all for free. It was amazing. So we have like jars and jars and jars of applesauce and pears, which just happen to be our boy's favorite food is just applesauce and pears. That's all they want to eat. And so we have jars of it. So Rebecca's like, you know how much money we've saved? And when she says money, then I'm like, oh yeah, I can register money. I can register money. So she's like, we've probably saved like hundreds, probably even close to a thousand dollars in savings with free apples and pears. And I'm like, wow, that is a blessing. This is good. We had a neighbor of ours. Their son's getting a little bit older. And so she gave us a bunch of her boys' toys to us and came home. It was so funny. She closed our door, hid it from the boys, and told me about it. I got home, and our entire bed is littered with kids' toys. And I'm like, oh, more junk (laughs) is my first thought. We already have enough toys, and they're everywhere all the time, and it's tough to clean up. It just means more cleanup. And uh, so anyways, we have like stashed some of it away and we're saving it for Christmas. And she's like, guess what? We don't have to buy Christmas presents anymore. I'm like, oh, buy money, right? We've saved money now. I see the blessings in this. That instantly, it doesn't register for me, but it does for her. And it's just wonderful to live life together. One of the toys that... Um, we were given was uh, a bunch of different Legos and like, diff- like, th- like it was so cool. I've never had Lego like this. When I grew up, Lego was just blocks. Like there wasn't anything about Lego. It was just like you had your like two piece, your four piece and your eight piece. And you may have got a 12 piece if you were really lucky, but like that's it. And like these Lego things, there's like a garbage truck and a Jeep with a trailer and an ATV and there's a dump truck and all this stuff. There's like this ninja tire thing that actually has shocks on it. It's amazing. Spencer was over. Spencer, Katie, and James and Courtney were over at our place on the weekend. And I think Spencer played for like an hour and a half of Lego with Seth. It was awesome. So we're in this Lego mode right now. Actually, even during mentoring yesterday with Seth, there was Lego under my chair in my office. And I'm just like, sorry, dude, it's just the reality of dad life right now with new Lego. But while I've been playing Lego with them this last week, it's it's been awesome in the sense of like seeing his creativity come about, right? And it's been also funny seeing his frustration come about as things just won't go the way they want it to. And he often 
like breaks apart what he's creating. And so my response is, dude, this is what's so great about Lego is that you get to rebuild it, right? You just get to put it back together. This is the best thing about Lego. And so we've like created this little construction site of Lego in our living room. He calls it the instruction site and it's the cutest thing ever. But the construction site of Lego has taken over our living room. Um, I got home yesterday from work and it was everywhere color coordinated. And I was like, whoa, did my son do this? And Rebecca's like, no, I did it. (laughs) So my wife is now in here doing the instruction site Lego with my boys, and it's awesome. But I've been saying this thing over and over to Seth, is this is the beauty part of Lego, is that you get to rebuild it. It's the beauty part of Lego, you get to rebuild it. And in this construction site of Lego, I've said this probably a hundred times this last week, and it got me thinking for the sermon tonight about this construction site. And so I want to focus on this idea of like, we are in this construction site as Christians, God's working in our life. So Christians under construction is where we're going tonight. So we've been talking about what for the last couple of weeks? Anointed. We've talked about definitions. We've showcased examples We've talked about prophetic words in the Old Testament. Uh, We've talked about Luke's literary devices and how he wrote his two books, his two works, and how he is not just recording history, but he's showcasing who Jesus is. He is displaying that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Anointed One. And then into Acts, that the Anointed One is also the Anointer to the early church, to the church now, today, us, as the anointed one, his bride, as the anointed one becomes the anointer, we now are the anointed ones to go forward about my father's business. Do you remember what the father's business is? He quoted Isaiah 61 in Luke 4. Do you remember what any of those were? To what? Bind out the sick. To what else? Anybody remember? If you don't get the word for word, I'm okay with that even. Right? Come on, I love this. Keep going, buddy. You got the three last week, too. Okay, liberate the captive, right? To proclaim what? The, the good, jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. So we've talked about what anointed is. We've talked about who the anointed is, and now the anointer, which is the, the anointed, which is the anointer. Now it gets to us. We know what our mission is, but okay, then who are we? Yeah, sure, we've been given the title, the anointed, but, but then who are we really truly? And it begs this question of identity, which Kim brought about both your things that you talked about. Man, you're on fire this evening. Uh, is so awesome in setting up for what I think God's going to do tonight. Because we've talked about the anointed, we've talked about the anointer, now us being anointed, but what about us? What about our identity? What does that mean for us? Sure, we have a mission, but But what about my day-to-day? What does that look like? What about that internal side as the anointed, personally? What does that look like? Because we're called to be set apart, but then what, like, what really, truly does set apart mean? Who am I, or who am I supposed to be? Have you ever done something extremely, extremely difficult? Like, it was super hard. Physically, mentally, anybody? What'd you do? Or are you just kind of generic being like, yeah, I've done something. 
coming to summit. Yikes. <laughs> getting thrown out of, almost getting thrown out? Almost. God is good. Alex? <laughs> Come on. Did you face your fears and do it? Good for you. Okay, like physical things, right, are quick to think of. I remember this one time we had this windstorm in Chilliwack and a, like the tree in front of our little front garden area like fell over and it fell over into our neighbor's driveway. Thankfully, her car was in the garage and so it never got hit or anything, but it was a large enough tree that would have done damage, but not this massive, huge oak tree, okay? And uh, the wind blew it over, but now she was stuck in her garage. And this is a single mom with like a teenage daughter. And so I was like, I got to help this lady out. So I get my like tiny little saw because I'm not that manly of a man. I just got this little Walmart saw and I'm like trying to hack the roots out of this thing. And then trying to be a good neighbor, I want to move this tree from her garage and I moved it over to like the visitor parking And the tree literally was probably like 12 feet tall, like not big. And the trunk was like, like this. So not even that big that I'm like, I can do this. It was probably one of the physical, like hardest things I have ever done in my entire life. And I started, and you know, when you start something and you're like, oh, I I shouldn't be doing this, (laughs) right? You know that feeling where you started, but you're like, I have already gotten into this. I have promised her I would move it and I cannot let her down. So I am literally struggling and she's like, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. (laughs) And it was wet and rainy and it was, you know, to the point where you're like physically exerting to yourself so hard that you think you're going to injure your back. Like, and you're like so close to like popping everything in that moment. I was there and I'm like, I should not be doing this. Anyways, I got there and I was sore for weeks after for moving a tree like literally 20 feet. You know those moments? You know those feelings? Or like when you're tasked to do something, when you're, when you're requested or asked or maybe voluntold to do something and you're like, whoa, wait, what? Like me? Like I'm supposed to be doing this? Ever been there before? Yeah. I kind of feel like that right now for what this sermon is going to be, to be honest. Where I believe God has tasked me to do something, but man, do I feel like I'm on the brink of injuring and popping everything in this moment. Where what we're talking about with anointing and this like personal, internal character side of living for Christ and, and what it means to be anointed and the character of a child of God, man, it's sometimes easy to feel like a failure and that you don't measure up because we don't. And when it's seasons that are waging back and forth of blessings and missing the blessings and the struggles and the insecurities and the fear, there are moments where I'm like, man, I, what? Me? Like, I should not, I should not in this moment be talking about it. And to be totally vulnerable and totally honest, like, that's where I'm at tonight. Um, so I'm hoping you can be vulnerable a bit with me too this evening. Um, are you okay with that? Yeah, thank you.
Who am I? Is that the right question? No. Come on, upperclassmen, what's the right question? Whose am I? Last year, freshmen, we had a, a really cool season talking about identity. And we asked this question, who am I? But we came to the conclusion that that's the wrong question in finding out what our identity is. The right question is not who am I, it's whose am I? Who do I belong to? What family am I a part of? And I'm so pumped we sang that song. That we are children of the Lord Most High. Part of a royal priesthood. A holy nation. Sons and daughters. Heirs to the throne and co-heirs with Christ. And so there's this identity piece that had saturated our year a lot of last year. And I think it should. And I think it's okay to continue because I think it should. Because I think we're going to go through seasons where we know our identity, but then we're going to go through seasons where we doubt our identity. And it's in those moments that we have to remember the question is not who am I, it's whose am I. And in this moment, i got to remind myself that it's not about my faults and my flaws and my shortcomings, though there are many, but it's about his redeeming power and his love and his anointing and the empty grave in which that he bursted out and now provides new life and salvation and redemption and glory. Proverbs 27, 19 says, as in water, face reflects face. So the heart of man reflects heart. So that's where we're going tonight. We're going right to the heart. Okay, right to the source, right to the internal. How's your heart doing? Can we do some self-reflection right now? I'm trying to be honest and vulnerable with you. Can you do so with yourself? How's your heart doing? Because I love what Kim said. I was going to mention it. The excitement of the first couple of weeks of school seems to be dying and all the energy that kind of pulls you along and keeps you going. Now it's like, okay, I got to make these conscious decisions. I got to think about it. I can see things a little bit clearly now. I don't know if I can just do this on energy and emotion. It's got to be deeper than that. So how's your heart? How's like the true you doing, right? Because we come to the school with this like, I got to play somewhat of a persona to hope that people will like me. And then that gets exhausting. And then your real true self comes out. And it's like, am I okay with that real true self? How you doing? How's the true you doing? For the last couple of weeks, we've looked at this overarching like vision. I love that this has been like a theme so far this year. Is it's like this overarching plan of what God's doing, not just like point by point by point. Like we're looking the big thirty thousand point view here, not thirty thousand point, thirty thousand feet view. And Jesus takes all of this. Right? He says, of all of the law and all of the prophets, and this is so beautiful because Kim just mentioned it. Jesus says, of all of the law and all of the prophets, what is it when it's summed together? What is it saying? To what? My man Jacob. My man Jacob. All of what we have been talking about. 
gets summed up into this love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? To love God, this longing for God, this longing for more of him, this desire of being with him, this desiring to be like him, to be like Jesus, to love our neighbor, right? To set the oppressed free, to liberate the captive, to preach good news to the poor, to heal the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to love your neighbor as? Are you loving yourself right now? How are you doing? How's your heart? Do you love yourself? Are you okay with yourself? How's the true you doing? Or another question, do you know the true you? Maybe you're in a season where you're like, I don't even know the true me, so I don't even know if the true me is doing good or not. Do you know the true you? And this is, to be honest, where I'm at. I know where I'm from. I I know whose I am. But at the age of 34, you'd think I'd figured it out by now, but yet there's seasons that still wage internally. Sorry, (laughs) you guys are still going to deal with it. So we might as well talk about it, right? (laughs) Hey, Titus 2 says this. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Uh, This year for our more theme, we're going to be talking about character. So it's going to be somewhat like intertwined through a lot of what we talk about from now until then. And so tonight we're talking about character. And we're talking about as the anointed one follower of Jesus, the one to proclaim now who God is, his promise, year of jubilee, debt paid. What is the character of that person internally? As water reflects face, so does a man's heart reflect man. So anointing and character, that's where we're going tonight. Is it possible to have one or the other? Is it possible to separate anointing and character, or are they one and the same thing? Can you be of good character and not be anointed? Can you be anointed and not of good character? Great questions. If you have character and no anointing, no spiritual fervor, I'd say that we're a good moral citizen right? And there's lots of them in our world. And there's wonderful people. And what's so heartbreaking is that a lot of those wonderful moral citizens are not children of God. How heartbreaking is that? That they can see a difference between good and evil, yet they don't see the truth. How heartbreaking is that? Talk about lost. Talk about blind. They get the difference of it, but yet they don't see the answer. And if we have anointing and no character, well, then we're just a contradiction, right? Character and no anointing, moral citizen. Anointing yet no character, that's just, in my opinion, a straight-up contradiction. 
right? If we do not conduct our lives that mirror the spirit-filled life of the Bible, we are just spiritually illogical. But, Lord, I'm a sinner. Like, I make mistakes. Like, I'm flawed. And, and, and I know my character is not perfect, so am I illogical? Like, am I, am I this mix-up? Am I this contradiction right now? A person of character and dignity coupled with an overflowing spiritual fervor, right? Character and anointing. And I don't mean like emotion, right? The goosies, as Kim talked about it. I don't just mean energy. I don't just mean charm, okay? I mean like a spiritual biblical charisma. I mean like a passion and a tenderness inside, okay? Can I tell you, this is just a side note, young leaders, okay? Young men, young women, when you look for role models, as you look for role models, and I pray that you do all the time in your life, as as old as you get, look for role models and people um, to aspire to be like, okay? Don't just go for the charm, the poise, and the eloquent speech. I didn't even say that right. That's how bad mine is, okay? Like, don't just go for the charm. The eloquent speech, the way to just put words together that sounds so enticing. Go for depth and humility and strong biblical character. Now, people of depth and humility and strong biblical character can have charm and can have eloquent speech by all means. But please look for the right kind of fruits of humility and depth and character and not just a good poetic way of saying a few things. Okay? The book of Acts talks about a guy by the name of Barnabas who exemplifies this, right? Barnabas, a great leader of balance, of character and anointing. And he was a man who was zealous for God and of good character. Acts 11 says, for he was a good man. I love that. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. What a testimony that is. Right? Imagine that being said. That is the dream of mine. Like that's the testimony. That's the example. A a person of good character. Full of the Holy Ghost. Full of faith. And that because of his life. Because of his conduct. Because of his speech. There's nothing that any enemy would have against him. Or her. And therefore they say yeah there's something about that person. There's some truth there, and I want that. And many gave their life because of his character and his anointing. So how's your heart? How's the true you doing? How's the seasons waging back and forth? I believe we can tell a lot about a person. Not just by what they do. Not by who they say they are, um, but how they treat people, right? How they treat people will say a lot about a person. Christ talks about it in the communion table. The world will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. It's not about just by what you do or about what you say you are or who you say you are. It's also how you treat people, okay? The identity question, it's not who am I, it's whose am I. But there's also the question of not who am I, but who am I for? Like, who is my focus? Am I about my business or am I about my father's business? 
And this, this is, of course, privately and publicly. Like, it's easy to say here, yeah, let, let's, like, set the captives free. Uh, it's easy to say amen and do that in here. Let's, let's, like, you know, those who are oppressed, let's, let's let them go. Awesome. Let's do that. Um, but then internally, it's like anxiety is stricken, concern, uncertainty, fear can take over. And privately, we're not in that same zeal. And the desire is to be both private and public, to have that same fervor, that same character, that same anointing, whether you're around people or you're not. There should be consistency between who we are and who we appear to be. Somebody should have said, I'm going to write that down on that one. (laughs) There should be consistency between who we are and who we appear to be. Come on. Jacob, my man. Love it. (laughs) Nice try, Josh. (laughs) Okay, so now listen, listen. The anointing doesn't mean that it's going to change our personalities. It's going to change our emotions. It's going to change our free will, okay? There's certain characteristics about us that God has made us uniquely, right? The way that we are and the free will that he gives us, our personalities that he's blessed us with, whether you love yourself 100% or not, he's blessed you with a great personality. And so anointing doesn't mean it's going to take that away. But it is possible that your personality and your emotions and your free will can take your anointing away. And so we're going to look at a story out of 1 Samuel. You can pop open your Bibles, go to your Bible app, whatever you choose to do, to 1 Samuel 10. Did you go straight there? Yo, you're on fire tonight. <laughs> so let's like let's talk about this. Okay, journey with me here. This may challenge your theology a bit. I hope it does. It has challenged mine. <clears throat> okay, so Samuel, First Samuel, chapter ten, and we're going to go in verse nine, and we're going to go to a point in the the chapter where we're all going to say it out together, and it'll be a ton of fun, and maybe you'll know where I'm talking about. Okay, verse nine. Here we go. And Saul turned to leave Samuel. God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. Love that. When they arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, what is this that is happening to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? A man who lived there answered, And who is their father? So it became a saying, Is Saul also among the prophets? After Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. Now Saul's uncle asked him and his servants, Where have you been? Looking for the donkeys, he said. (laughs) But when we saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, Tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul replied, he assured us that the donkeys had been found, but he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord 
uh, at Mitzpah. And he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all your calamities and distresses. And you have said, No, set a king over us. So now present yourself before the Lord by your tribes and clans. And when Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was chosen. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further to the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the baggage. They ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then they all shouted, Long live the king! Long live the king! (laughs) Thanks, Katie. I think Katie was the most... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like what a moment, right? Nice try, Josh. Nice try. (laughs) I got you. Okay, so Israel, out of Egypt, right? Gets to Mount Sinai, makes his covenant with the Lord. Moses, Ten Commandments, comes down. They uh, journey around for a while. They eventually make it to the promised land where they are to live out faithfully God's covenant commands to him, right? Uh, to them. Uh, but they failed. Israelites failed in living out faithfully God's covenant commands to him. And there's through this, the book of Judges, you hear just how they have failed in doing so. And we get to Samuel. And we get to this uh, focus where there's three leaders, right? They were in moral chaos, the, the nation of Israel. And there was this need for wise, faithful leaders. And so we get to the book of Samuel, and they focus on three leaders. Samuel, Saul, and David. And through these people, they all played a part in taking the Israelites from the 12 tribes to one united kingdom. One united kingdom under God. And so the Israelites, they go to Samuel, and they say, we want to be like all the other nations, and we want our own king. And Samuel, all disgruntled, goes to the Lord, Lord, do you hear these guys? And he's like, yeah, I hear them. They're going about it the wrong way, but we're going to bless them anyways, and we're going to give them what they want. What a good father, right? What a good father. And so uh, even though they had wrong motives, they wanted a king, and God gave them this king, and this begins this story of the first king of Israel with Saul and this relationship between Saul and David. So Saul began walking in his position in the anointing of God. God changed his mind. God blessed him. God gave him the power of the Holy Spirit over him that he would prophesy. That people questioned, whoa, who is this guy prophesying? Is he a part of the prophets? God blessed him, anointed him. Previous at the beginning of that chapter is where Samuel anoints Saul at the beginning of his kingship. So as they're questioning him, as he's chatting with his uncle about finding or not finding the donkeys, right? He already knew that he was anointed as king by that time, right? He was already had the oil poured on him, which is to the same equivalent of having the crown on his head, already knowing that he would be made king. And yet he doesn't say anything. He had this 
this humbleness about him to begin as a reign as the king of the nation. And then when they pulled the tribe of Benjamin and his family out and eventually to Saul, Saul wasn't even there, right? And in that moment, he knew that he was king, but he wasn't boasting about saying, hey guys, hey guys, look at me, right? He was the chosen one. And among the Israelite nation, they loved him, right? Talked about he was a foot tall or he was strong, he was powerful. Clearly the chosen one. And they loved him. Long live the king. We love King Saul. Not only do we see the growth in his reign in this book, but we also see the demise of King Saul in the following chapters. In Samuel 13, Saul offers a burnt offering which violated what God had commanded him to do. Also, further along in verse 13, Samuel tells Saul that because of his obedience to the Lord, that Israelite the Israelites would benefit from a humble king, which is not Saul any longer. Therefore, God is going to rise up a new king because of Saul's disobedience. So this begins his, his demise. This begins his falling. This begins this, this wild relationship between him and David. Where he loved David, but then wanted to kill David. And David loved the king, but yet had to flee from this king. In Samuel 15, we find Saul once again disobeying God. God spoke to Samuel. And God said to Samuel that he regretted placing Saul in the position as king. Because he had turned away from following him and not carried out his commands. Verse 26, Samuel tells Saul that the Lord has rejected him as being king over Israel. In Samuel 16, 14, we find this last state of Saul, that the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. Saul did not continue to walk in godly character. He was dishonest. He lacked integrity. He was unable to acknowledge his own mistakes, that humble humility, I should say, turned into pride where he could not acknowledge his shortcomings and his lack of integrity. And because of this lack of possessing godly character, God removed the Holy Spirit from Saul. God removed the anointing. Now, he remained in his position as king. He still held the title, but the Holy Spirit was removed from Saul for the remainder of his reign and eventually his life. See, see, today, unfortunately, I think we've seen this in our lives. Where we've seen people of godly character and the anointing fail. And I, I don't want to be one to judge of if the Holy Spirit is still with them or not. I'm going to leave that to the judge. But we've seen failings in characters of high profiles that affect a lot of people. And it freaks me out like crazy that God would take his spirit away due to unfaithfulness, due to continual sin, due to pride, a lack of integrity, and an unwilling to acknowledge their mistakes. 
Bible says in Romans 11 that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. It means that they're irrevocable. So in this regard with Saul, his position as king and his title was irrevocable. He was keeping that. But the anointing of God was gone, was vanished. What a terrible position to be in. Samson, another example, right? Anointing and godly character, but due to sin that eventually led to a in his life. Matthew 7 says, you will know them by their fruits. Jesus says, grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. Verse 20, it says, so then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone, and I hate this, sorry. This is one of the hardest scriptures. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Like we're talking, we're talking spiritual gifts and operation here. Healings of people, miracles taking place. Demons possessed people, stuck to addiction, to whatever, released. And yet Jesus would say, I, I don't know you. Like, I don't know you. You may, you may hold this title, but I don't know you. Let, let that bug you for a bit. Let that challenge your theology for a little bit. The, literally, like, I can prophesy in your name, yet miss your anointing? Like, that scares me. That, that makes me question, oh, man, where am I in this? What is he going to say to me when I say, Lord, Lord? Then David had seen Saul with the anointing, then without the anointing. He had seen the terrible state that it was to be if he did not have the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. And David did not want to walk in title or position without the presence of the Holy Spirit, which led him to cry out, don't remove the Holy Spirit from me. Guys, that's my, that's my cry for you. Don't allow the Holy Spirit to be removed from you. Okay, but what about David? Like he sinned, right? Come on. He's an adulterer. He's a murderer. Like, why does he get to go off as the one whose heart was after God? Why is the anointing of the Holy Spirit before him and always before him, unlike it was for Saul? And David was anointed as king over Israel, just like Saul. Okay, in Samuel 16, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. David was anointed as king, just like Saul. Blessed, just like Saul. Loved by the people, just like Saul was at the beginning. Long live the king. And the presence of the Holy Spirit was with David from that day forward. They both sinned. 
But why was the Holy Spirit not removed from David? Come on. Brandy, is that you? Come on. That is my point right here. David possessed a godly character of a repentant heart. Saul did not. Saul, when confronted with his sin, made excuses and blamed others of his sin. He did not take responsibility for his actions. He did not come to a true repentance. David, when confronted with his sin, repented. He was not a man after God's own heart because he was sinless. He was a man after God's own heart because he came to repentance after he sinned. He walked in godly character and he manifested the good fruit of repentance. That's so good. The fruit of repentance. When you sin, how quick are you to find the fruit of repentance? I struggle at times. I can get prideful at times. And scripture like this freaks me out and drops me to my knees. Lord, I need you more than ever. Probably one of the biggest fears would be that. I never knew you. Biggest fears. So I want my heart to be soft. I want it to be tender. I want it to be close to Jesus. Because how does one lose character, right? Do you guys know scripture passage for this? How does one lose character? By what? Bad company. Bad company ruins good character. Do you think God cares about community? Do you think God cares about friendships and relationships? Right? Also, it says in Proverbs 27, uh, just as iron sharpens iron, a person sharpens the character of his friend, which means good company builds character. Bad company, ruin. Good company, build. Romans 5, this is a tough mathematical equation. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. To get to that third point of character, what do we got to go through? Suffering and perseverance. Talk about storms in your life. Talk about questions of identity. Talking about uncertainties. God, are you there? I got fear. I got insecurities. I know I've got flaws. But it's persevering through those times that we find character. Ephesians 3 says, For this reason I fall on my knees before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth receives its character. Are you mindful of the things of God? Or are you mindful of things of man? Are you about your father's business? Not the question of who am I, but who are you for? I want to invite the band. They can come on back up. And I want to finish with this picture analogy that I thought of super last minute uh, for tonight. I believe in this character of repentance right? This posture of humility that God so desires out of us, that as we walk in humility, as we walk with a repentant heart, the anointing of God will stay with us, will go before us, that we can with confidence 
be assured that the anointing of the Spirit is here and in your life if you approach the throne with a repentant heart. And so with a repentant heart, the way we get there is an understanding that I don't lean on my own strength, but I lean on his. I don't lean on just the skill set and the gifts, the spiritual gifts, the, the blessings, the, the, the healings, the miracles. It's not because of that. It's because of a repentant, humble heart approaching the throne, acknowledging that I am broken. Like, like true intimacy with God is in that point of sheer and utter brokenness before him. And I think this is the journey that God is really pushing me into right now. And my human nature is to push back. Why? I know his will is good, perfect, and pleasing, but yet I push back on it. And he desires for us to be in this place of brokenness so he can develop our character and provide hope into our lives. And so I wanted to, this picture thing, I I got Mark to help me out, which I appreciate this, Mark. Um, He's got this like cool little chess board in his office. This is the king and queen of the chess board. It's awesome. Um, I don't know what piece that one is. (laughs) Started strong there. Uh, this is uh, a Japanese chessboard. You said about 40 years you've had it or so. So there's some meaning to this. His parents brought this back from Japan for him, right? Correct? Years ago? Decades ago? Uh, <laughs> and there's... Uh, uh, it's. It's so beautiful, like the, the, the design of it, the care of it, the intention of it. What's cool, actually, uh, this piece is missing its head right here, okay? And this piece here, uh, it's tough to see, uh, but it's cracked in two places. And uh, Mark has, like, re-put it back together. Uh, he used milk to put it back together. How crazy is that? With just, like, the kind of stone and texture that it is, uh, it just kind of fuses back together with milk uh, and is, like, back together. What a great story, right? And do you know that there is actually a long Japanese tradition of this kind of art? Okay, I looked this up. This is where I just got it last minute. Kintsugi, I think is what it's called. It's called the Golden Journey. Isn't that great? The Golden Journey. Have you ever seen any of this pottery before? What they do is they take broken pottery and they patch it with gold. So rather than hiding the brokenness, they actually expose it. They highlight it. They take this bowl, which breaks, and in our North American society, we think, yep, it's done, it's over. They actually say, no, 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 we're going to infuse it with gold to highlight the cracks and the brokenness so that the value of this piece actually grows and increases. That it's no longer just history, but there's a new story with it. Same thing with these pieces. There's history to it, but there's new stories that take place. So when there's a crack, when there's a fault, when there's a sin, rather than hiding it, if we highlight it, expose it to the dark, God comes down and blesses it and increases the value of our lives. That it's not just history, but there's a new story, a new creation that comes about out of a repentant, godly biblical heart and strong in character 
full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And so tonight, can I urge you, can I beg you to join me in repenting at the altar? Like you may have had a good week and you may be like, I don't really know what to repent for. We're we're all still fall short. Maybe there is some personal things that are actually there in you that you need to confess and say, Lord, I need you in this moment. And he wants to take the broken, shattered pottery of what you are and take care of you, fix you, and make your value increase tonight. Let me finish with this. Why don't you stand with me, actually? Philippians 2 says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. He was about his father's business. The identity of Jesus was not just who he is, but it's who he was for, right? He didn't care about the equality with God in this moment because he knew who he was for. He was about his father's business, humbling himself down to a servant. Let's humble ourselves. Let's be about the father's business. And I can guarantee the anointing will go with you every single day from this day forward. So what I'm going to do rather than doing a prayer right now, I'm just going to stand here. I'm going to move my table. I'm going to stand here and I want you to join me. And the band, if you could lead like that last song really quietly, really softly. So we have the opportunity to pray still here. Uh, But why don't you join me right now in the front? Join me and we're going to approach the throne together.
from my mother's womb. And from my mother's womb, you have chosen me. To your family, your blood flows through my veins. Sing that again. And from my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. And I've been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my veins. 